0: sunny day. What a blessing to worship the Lord, enjoy his presence. Richard, thank you for, for sharing, Richard and Justin, and taking us through this praying life seminar. I'm excited about this, aren't you guys? I know personally I've always, I always feel my need to grow in the area of prayer, and so just looking forward to that time for, for us to be equipped. Um, there really is nothing more important in life than our own relationships with Jesus Christ, and so I know personally I want to jump at any opportunity that I can to, to grow, and I know that's your hearts as well. So go ahead when you have a chance to go online or on your phone and, and sign up. Uh, looking forward to how God will meet us. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, hope you do, please turn them to the book of 1 John. As most of you know, we've been in a series going through the book of 1 John. The title of the series, as you can see, on the screen is is genuine Christianity. We could have named this series any number of things: authentic Christianity, real Christianity. You, you get the point. Um, the heartbeat behind this epistle is that we as believers would truly walk with Jesus. And I just I just love this book so deeply because of how it how it equips us to do that, how it helps us to do that, to lay hold of what what real Christianity is all about. Well, we're picking things up. We're almost halfway through the book here. Uh, But the end of chapter 2, so our text this morning is 1 John 2, 28, and then we're going all the way down to chapter 3, verse 10. So, remind us why we're here, brothers and sisters. We're here not just to hear man speak, but to, uh, to hear the Holy Spirit. So let's, uh, let's open up our hearts to him. This is God's holy, inspired, authoritative word, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. It did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. May God bless the preaching of his word and may he write its eternal truth by the power of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts. Our passage today is about... What can be for us as Christians a particularly uncomfortable topic, and that is personal holiness. In other words, what it means to live not like the world, but instead to live lives that are honoring to Jesus, to live lives that please God, to live lives characterized by righteousness and purity. This can be an uncomfortable topic for many of us because to talk about To talk about holiness, to talk about holiness is to come face to face with how very far we fall short of God's glory. And not only that, to talk about this subject is to come face to face with how much we sin day in and day out as Christians. However, at the outset here, brothers and sisters, I just want to remind us. We sang about this. We gloried in it in our time of of worship. I want to remind us: we have a great Savior who forgives every single failing and every single sin. In light of that, we should not we should not shrink back. We should not be afraid to talk about what is a major theme in the Bible and what is a major theme in this epistle as well. Even though. <laughs> It can make us feel uncomfortable. It makes this this epistle makes me feel uncomfortable. God God is gracious. Isn't He? He loves He loves us so so deeply, so so very much. And one of the things He cares about as our as our fathers, he, he wants to help us become more more like His Son Jesus. And if, if you're a Christian, as I know most of you are. I mean, that desire was implanted by the Holy Spirit in conversion. There's nothing that we want more than to be, be more like our Savior. So God, God wants to help us this morning. I just want to build some faith in us for how God is going to meet us. And let's open up our hearts. This this to the Lord. Let's open up our hearts to the Holy Spirit and allow Him to work. You know, if we want God to meet us during these times of of, of the Word, I mean, we want... Jeremy and I, who preach most Sundays, we, we ask the Lord to fill us. We need anointed listening. We need the Spirit to be with us together. And part of that, we, we want to open up our hearts. This is a hard-hitting text. So, I'm just trying to prepare you. You can either sort of do the uh, wide receiver stiff arm as you're running down the sidelines and stiff arm the Spirit as we go along, or just welcome it. He's gracious. <laughs> All right? He's caring for you and me through this time. And I trust God, God wants to help us. All right, just a little context. You're, you'll recall that in the opening chapter of this book, the, the Apostle John calls us to walk in the light as what? You can say it out loud. Talk to me. As he is in the light. And who's he? That's, that's God. Scripture is clear. God is totally, completely, 100% righteous, holy, and pure. Not 99.99%, 100% pure. In him, there is, just think about this, no imperfection, no blemish, no deficiency. God defines light. He embodies light. He emanates light. And in this epistle, the apostle John is clear that God himself calls us as Christians. He calls you and me to walk in the light. Tall order as he himself is in the light. We know, everyone, if you've been a Christian for longer than a a day, you know that walking in the light is not easy. And Why is that? Why is it not easy? Well, because there is not a single day that goes by that the darkness and evil of this present world does not in some way, shape, or form beckon us and tempt us. In small ways, and at times more significant ways as well, Away from the light. It's not a day that goes by. Where the darkness in some way, shape, or form doesn't beckon us away from the light. Which is everything good. Everything holy. Everything pure. It's it's the place where God himself dwells. I've told you this this story before. But it it bears repeating because it connects so well with our theme here today. Phoebe and I had a dear... Longtime friend, passed away last year. She was the mother of, uh, forgive me, I get emotional about this just, just beginning to talk about it. Um, she was the mother of five precious boys, ages 1 to 13. She loved the church. She loved her family. She appeared to love the Lord. She was married to, honestly, one of the best men I know. I mean, a great guy, a godly man. This woman, at some point, she went from drinking alcohol in moderation to drinking heavily. So she became, she became an alcoholic, which led to a ton of other sins. And her life, over the course of about two years, became engulfed in utter, utter darkness. And tragically, she died last year, mid-30s, from alcohol poisoning. They found her in her apartment. And this is someone my wife, my wife and I. I mean, Phoebe remembers playdates with this, this lady. I mean, this is someone we never would have imagined this, this happening, too. We'd never have imagined her going walking down these paths. And uh, over the past year or two, as this was happening, I was in contact with her husband and just trying to be an encouragement to my friend. And I asked him once, "How do you think?" your wife, how do you think she got to that point? You know what he said? It it struck me so much, so much. He said she she always struggled with selfishness. And over the years, she just indulged that selfishness in increasingly serious and harmful ways to her and her family. And as a result, she is no longer here now. I realize this is, an extreme, this is an extreme example. I get that. But the point of me sharing this with you is, is this. The pull towards sin, towards evil, towards the darkness, is something, please hear me, that we all must fight daily. Not one, not one person here is excluded from that. It is part of living in a fallen, broken world, a world that the Apostle Paul characterizes. This struck me in my devotions this past week, Ephesians 6, as this present darkness. That's, that's how the Apostle Paul describes this world. I'm so thankful we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. i so thankful. The holy, pure, righteous Spirit living inside of us. And He is mighty and strong. Yet the reality is, and we cannot ignore it. We ignore it to our detriment and our peril. The reality is remaining sin within. The world, demonic powers. The dark side. For you Star Wars fans. <laughs> it beckons each one of us. In different ways. In different ways. We're all different. We're all wired differently. It beckons us in different ways depending on our particular set of weaknesses and temptations. The way that you are tempted to sin and the, the way you're, tended, you're tempted to be pulled away from the light, it might look differently than the next person. Often the pull towards darkness, towards sin and evil, it's, it's subtle. I'm thinking of, of, of sins that we tend to tolerate, self pity. You know, there's a great article out there called "The Poison of the Self-Pity." It's sin. It just it takes you down to all sorts of unbelief, lack of trust in God, and other sins as a result. Bitterness. Anybody ever struggle with bitterness? Someone does something back, and it can just feel so right. Bitterness feels so right. Yet you can get sucked into it pretty fast, and not even realize, "Wow, I'm moving towards darkness." Gossip, <laughs> you know, who of us is not guilty of you know, you know, you're saying something about another person and you know it reflects negatively on them, but you just keep going because you just got to get it off your chest. Envy, you know, looking at someone and saying, I wish, I, you know, I've been as good of a person as they have. Why hasn't life gone well for? Me, These types of sins don't seem so bad, yet they are part of the dar- darkness that as believers can ensnare us. So sometimes the pull can be subtle. Sometimes it's not so subtle. The enemy whispers into our ears, you know, go on. Click on, click on that link. Click on that image. It's not going to hurt you. That's not subtle. That's, that's right, right in your face. If you've been at this church for any length of time, you know that we love and affirm the reformed and biblical doctrine of eternal security. We believe those who are truly and genuinely saved, God keeps to the end. Yet we also affirm God keeps us in part through our efforts, through not our self-sufficient, prideful efforts, but through our spirit-powered, gospel-driven efforts to put off sin and to put on holiness. In other words, here's what I'm getting at. Please track with me on this. We don't remain in the light by doing nothing. (laughs) Instead, we remain in the light, as John says in the opening chapter, by walking in it. That means you've got to always be moving towards the light because if you're not moving towards the light, where are you going? Away from it. You're being pulled away from the light. In our passage today, John seeks to impress upon the hearts of his original readers and ours as well, three biblical realities, three biblical realities intended by God to give us fresh perspective, to open our eyes, to give us fresh perspective on why holiness matters. Three biblical realities intended by God to take us this morning, all right, and inspire us and spur us on towards holiness. And these these are realities, dear brothers and sisters, that if they grip our hearts, they are Biblical realities. They are God's realities. If they grip our hearts, these realities can, they have the potential to transform our lives and to inspire us anew to run hard after Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I find myself regularly in need of the Spirit of God opening my eyes and giving me fresh inspiration because I can get tired and weary and the battle with sin and the devil and the flesh and the world isn't easy. And God's here to help us today. Biblical reality number one, the return of Christ. You might not think of that in sanctification that often. The return of Christ and that connection. Moving towards the light. In chapter 3, verse 1, please look there. John rejoices in God's love for us as God's children. <laughs> See what kind of love, you could just hear his tone, can't you? Like, he's rejoicing. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Yes. <laughs> what amazing love! <laughs> That our Savior would not only lay his life down on that cross for us, that he would shed his blood for us on Calvary. That's amazing enough. That we'd be forgiven of our sins. That we'd be justified in God's sight. Declared righteous in his sight. That's amazing. And we sing amazing grace that he did that for us. But that's not all he did. He cleared the way for the Heavenly Father, our Heavenly Father, to adopt us into His family. That we could become His own dearly beloved children. Be encouraged, dear brothers and sisters. We are children of God. John wants us to rejoice and revel in the fact we are part of His family. He is our Father. That nearness and closeness and proximity of a relationship is something God has for each one of us. That's verse 1. That's verse 1. Then in chapter 3, verse 2, John anticipates our homecoming. He's anticipating, and we're not with him yet. God is with us in one sense by his spirit, but we don't see him. And in verse 2, he anticipates our homecoming, our return to the Father as God's God's children. Beloved, verse 2, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know... We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. When he appears. Oh, I love that phrase. When, when he appears, when he appears, think about it. What a day that, that is going to be. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel. And with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise. When he appears, when he appears, don't you look forward to that day when he appears, when you see him. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. And the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. One day Christ will appear. It's real. The day is coming soon. He will appear. We will no longer see as in a mirror dimly. dimly. We will see Jesus face to face. And not only, I mean, that's gonna be that's gonna be amazing. To see him. Right? You're gonna just. Imagine that day. Let your mind drift right now. One day, he's going to appear. The trumpet's going to sound. He's going to appear. And the one that you have believed in, hoped in your whole life, who you love so much, you're going to see him. What do you? What that is? that moment going to be like? I don't know what we'll do. Will you fall on your knees? Will you knees? Will I... Embrace him. Every tear wiped away. The picture of revelation. Suffering, sorrow, death, no more. One day we're going to see him face to face. And that's going to be great. You can't even find an adjective to describe it. But not only that. We shall be like him. You see it. That's the the word of God. Look there at the end of verse 2. When he appears, this is the promise of God. Grip a hold of it. We shall be like him, like Jesus. That means that in our glorified, resurrected bodies, we will be perfectly holy. No sin, no flaw, no imperfection. So we don't need to be annoyed with ourselves anymore or other people. You just think, the believer you're most annoyed with, you most struggle with, you're not going to struggle with. You're going to think they're pretty great and pretty awesome. That's your future destiny. Perfection. And it's my future destiny. It's the future destiny of anyone who is called upon the name of the Lord for salvation. I love that song that Jason Lettison, The Lord is my salvation. That's what it means to be saved. You're forgiven, but it's not just, it doesn't just end with justification or even adoption. There's glorification. He's coming soon. So the question is, what's the implication? All right? Okay, Chris, I get it. That's happening and praise the Lord. But what's the implication? What does this mean for us today? Well, we don't have to guess. John tells us. Verse 3. Let's read this one out loud, okay? All right? And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. As believers, we are those who long for a day when we will be like Him, when we will be like our Savior, like our God, like the Holy One of all, without sin. That's real. That's coming. It is then, as Matthew Henry points out, therefore, a great contradiction and evil when we, who live for that day, okay, we're living for the day when we're going to be perfect. Be perfectly holy. We long for that day. We hope for that day. It is a great contradiction, Henry points out, for those of us who hope for that day, to in this day, then make an allowance for sin. Say it's okay. You track with what Matthew Henry says? Great contradiction. I'm hoping for the day. I'm gonna, my heart beats for the day I'm going to be totally pure and righteous before the Lord that's what I'm about that's what I look forward to that's my hope but sin today oh it's okay no big deal look, tolerate some impurity some wickedness some sin it's okay that's a great contradiction at the end of this long quote he says, he says this I think we have this for you this is really strong um, really strong but it fits with the tenor of the text it is the hope of hypocrites and not the sons of God that makes an allowance for the gratification of impure desires and lust. It's strong language, but I think it's consistent with the text. And this text is meant to be as a wake-up call from God to anyone who is tolerating sin to any degree In their lives. Brothers and sisters, God by his Holy Spirit is eager. This word isn't meant to condemn us. It is meant to protect us. It is meant to protect us from the hypocrisy that on one hand says, I long for the day when I'm going to be holy. And on the other, refuses to repent. Instead, choosing to make allowance, make room for, and excuses for sin. You know how you can know that you're not in a good place? When you find yourself justifying your sins. When we become okay with our sins. Okay? It's one thing to fight your sin. We all fight sin. Sin is a daily temptation and tendency for every, for every one of us. It's one thing to fight sin. It's another thing to justify it and to be okay with it. And to wake up and begin a new day and you are assuming that you're going to sin in the same way that you did yesterday. That, that's what making room for sin is. It's just assuming it. It's just saying, that, hey, this is okay. It will be what it will be. And then yielding to it again and again and again. And when I read this text, I've got to tell you, it just causes me to, uh, to want to pray. God protect me protect me from that kind of hypocrisy protect me from being a man who preaches your word who says i long for the day when i'm going to be holy and yet allows for sin protect me from that even at the smallest even at the smallest level All right, moving along. Biblical reality number two, intended to inspire holy living, the holiness of God, the holiness of God. Chapter two, verse 29, please look there. If you know that he is righteous, he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. Chapter 3, verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself. Notice what comes next. As He is pure. Chapter 3, verse 5. In Him there is a little bit of sin. In Him there is... In Him there's no sin no one who abides in him keeps on sinning no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him chapter 3 verse 7 little children let no one deceive you whoever practices righteousness is righteous again notice the next phrase as he as he is righteous god is righteous he is pure john says in him there is no sin. In other words, in other words, a summary term for that is God is holy. God is holy. After God parted the Red Sea and the people came out, the people rejoicing, Moses and the people saying in worship, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who?" is like you, majestic in holiness. The prophet Isaiah had a vision. He saw the Lord seated on His throne. In that same vision, he saw one seraphim, an angel cry out to the other, Holy, holy, holy. For emphasis. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. In John's vision of heaven, he saw four living creatures night and day declaring, Holy. Holy. Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God is holy. He is set apart from us. How? Well, He is transcendent. He is above us in every way. But not only that, He is also morally perfect. He has no imperfection, no impurity, no defect in any way. And here in our text, the Apostle John asserts. The Apostle John asserts that to be born of the Holy One, which is what we are, to hope in the Holy One, to abide in the Holy One is to reflect His holy character, not perfectly. Oh, do we fall short? But we reflect it nonetheless. Just hear the language again, 229. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of Him. 3 3. Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Himself. Everyone who hopes in Him purifies Himself as He is pure. Later on, chapter 3, verse 6. No one keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. If you keep on sinning, again, he's talking about you're not repenting, you're not fighting it. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. I'm reminded of Peter's words, which actually I thought could almost be like a thesis for this passage. If you want a main point. Peter said, "As he who called you as holy, as he who called you as holy. Jesus called us, He's holy. Also be holy in all your conduct, that since it is written, and then he quotes Leviticus, "You shall be holy, for I am holy." You know what, brothers and sisters, I, I love the gospel. I love it. I love it. I love the gospel. I love Christ, who the gospel is about. I love the doctrine of justification by grace alone. <laughs> I love it. The gospel of justica- justification by grace alone through faith alone makes me simultaneously want to cry with thankfulness to God and dance like David did when the ark of the covenant came back. In this it makes me cry tears of thankfulness and the celebrate because there's no better news that I'm declared righteous. We're declared righteous in the sight of God because of Christ. And I love the truth that there is nothing I can do to make God love me more. Nothing I can do to make him love me less. And I'm so grateful to be in a church that, that preaches that. I'm so thankful to Jeremy for how he serves us in preaching that to us. I love the truth that as far as the east is from the west. So far... Has he removed our transgressions from us? You know what, I need that truth every single day. I have to have it because I sin every day. These are truths we do well to rehearse and celebrate da- daily. I tell you, you cannot survive or flourish. cannot, apart from these glorious gospel truths. Yet it is also true, and we do well to not forget our lives, as Paul says have been bought with a price. They've been bought with a price. What's that price? The blood of Jesus. Therefore, our lives are not our own. They belong to God. God is holy. He's our Father. And as His children, we are to bear resemblance to Him. We are to look like Him. Who is our Heavenly Father? Children tend to bear resemblance to their human fathers. The exception would be my children, who bear resemblance to their mother and not their father, which I think is a good thing. But children tend to resemble their father. So when our spouse, our children, our neighbors, our relatives see us, hear me on this. When they see us, they ought to be able to see past. Are you tracking with me? They ought to be be able to see past us and see on the other side of our face the Father because we bear resemblance to Him. That's what John is saying. God help us. God help us. I know often I don't reflect my Heavenly Father. Yet, I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit who's working His character in us. I believe that. And He's conforming us day by day into the image of our Savior. We want to bear the the resemblance to our Heavenly Father as well as our older brother, Jesus. It's what it means to be part of the family of God. And uh, just to... One of the reasons I love being part of this church is because when I look at you and interact with you, often I see the Lord and see his His love and see Christ in you. What a blessing. All right, biblical reality number three, intended to inspire holy living. This is our last point. The sinfulness of sin. I didn't write this. I was intimidated when I read the text to preach it a bit. It is hard-hitting. Let's continue to allow the Lord to to help us here. When we contemplate the sinfulness of sin, how bad it is, how evil it is, how God hates it, the result should be a hatred and distaste for sin that rises up in our souls that says, "I, I hate that too, and that stirs us. To pursue holiness with all our might. Not legalistically, not to earn God's favor, but in a gospel-driven, faith-fueled, spirit-powered way, pursue holiness. And often I think, and this is me, I don't know about you, we we tolerate sin, we make room for, for it, we fail to repent of it because sometimes it just doesn't seem that bad to us. It really doesn't strike us in the core of who we are as that bad. Um, And in our text, John seeks to help us to see, I mean, he's really trying to help us to see the sinfulness of sin, not to condemn us again, but so we can repent and flee. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, okay, he now he's going to help us see what sin is also, and feel the, how evil it is. Also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. What does John mean by that? It's a violation of God's law. Okay? Do you always think about sin like that? Sometimes it, you're, we can be some, so comfortable with sin, it's just like, oh, I sin. And that way again. And there's sort of a nonchalant attitude. But I, I wonder how often we stop and think when we sin, it's a violation of God's law. Let's think about this. God created us. He owns us. Basic but gospel truth. He is our king. We are his subjects. He's given his, us his good law to follow in the Ten Commandments and the other commands in Scripture. It's good laws for our good, for our benefit, for our blessing. When we sin, we break those good laws. And this truth, I think, helps us to take sin seriously and not just be okay with it. I mentioned this earlier just... To, Take the example of bitterness. Bitterness is a sin that you just feel justified in or anger. You just feel, it just feels right. You know, if someone does something to bother you, annoy you, or worse, they betray you or sin against you, it feels right and sometimes even good to be bitter. Bitter but if i remember that bitterness and anger and any expression of it withholding love and affection withdraw raising a voice any expression of it when i think that's lawlessness it's lawlessness that sort of stops you in your track god's god's watching this is the law that helps. I mean, if I, if I, sometimes I can drive too fast. If I know that, if, if I'm, and I'm not, when I'm driving too fast, I'm not usually thinking about the law. But the law does help us. The law does have a function in the life of the believer. Um, I don't believe that the law, you, you know, you become a Christian and everything's automatic. No, the law helps us. So if I'm driving home and I'm driving too fast I'll, and I see a cop, that's a reminder a law. <laughs> don 't break it, um, and hopefully i 'll slow down that's the law can help us, and so remembering that sin is lawlessness, I think can help us to seek to repent in verse five. John says of our Lord verse that you know that he appeared that is Jesus, in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. What John is pointing out is that sin is so wicked and so evil that it required. The blood of His own Son to rescue us. That has helped me at times to not sin. When I pause and remember that my sins cause are so bad in the sight of God, that they cause the Son of God, the Holy One of all, to need to go to the cross for me. When I think that He appeared on that cross to take away sins, take away the penalty of sin, to take away the power of sin, when I think of that, it settles up, I don't want to do that, this is that bad. In verse 8, John continues to help us see the sinfulness of sin by reminding us that sin aligns a person, this is so serious, I just don't think this way all the time, sin aligns a person with the works of Satan. I want to read verses 8 to 10 again. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Someone who makes a practice of sinning is someone, as I've said before, continues to indulge sin. They continue, they refuse to repent. John is not talking about, to every sensitive conscience here, I want to make it clear, he's not talking about the person who fights hard against, against sin, yet at times finds themselves stumbling in a particular sin, but then they repent and there's a struggle there. Uh, what John is talking about is the person who refuses to stop. Who, to use the biblical word, makes a practice of it. He says, that person is of the devil. And that really is the dividing mark between those who are children of the devil and children of God. Do they make a practice of sinning or do they make their practice righteousness? That said, the bottom line here is John associates sin with, and this this helps me to appreciate the evil of sin, with demonic activity. Though we cannot blame our sin on the devil, make no doubt the devil does get involved. He wants us to sin, he prompts us to sin, he entices us to sin. That should sober us in our fight against sin. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus died on that cross. Why did he go to that cross? Why did he suffer as he did on that cross? bearing our guilt and shame. He did it to destroy the work of the devil. He did it to destroy forever sin and death. Why did he rise again over the grave? Well, because he was being victorious over the works of the devil. Sin. The devil's been, the devil, uh, verse eight has been sinning from the beginning. He, and that's, he's out to destroy every person in this world and every believer. He's out to destroy us. We need to be aware of that. And he wants to entice us to sin. Boy, that helps me to, to not, uh, when I think about that, to not want to yield to sin. Because I want nothing to do with the works of the devil. I want nothing to do with it. Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin. I want to walk in what Christ has done. Walk in the light of his countenance. Walk in holiness. Walk in purity. Walk in godliness. Walk in the realm where God dwells. Evil, Satan, I want to leave you behind. And walk living for the Lord. Well, I do want to invite the band return to return. As we've seen, this is not a light text, yet it is the word of God here's what I want to, as we wrap up here, here's what I want to leave you with, all right? I don't assume that many here have some major sin they need to repent of. There may be someone here that you do have a very serious sin you need to repent of. And I want to encourage you, do not leave this room today without turning away from sin and Satan and coming towards the light. Come towards your Savior. Receive His forgiveness. Begin to turn towards the Lord in repentance. I don't assume that's many here. Maybe some. However, I do assume that we... Because the Bible assumes that we all struggle with sin. I assume that. I assume that the darkness, that the world, the flesh, and the devil are after each one of us and seeking to entice us in various ways. I do assume that if we are not moving towards the light, we are inevitably moving away from it. Therefore, here's what I want to leave us with. Let's, church, keep moving wherever you're at. All right? Let's keep moving towards the light. Let's keep moving. Let's be, again, we're not doing this in a self-sufficient way, but dependent upon the Spirit of God, let's keep moving towards the Lord, moving towards godliness, moving towards righteousness. So what does that mean? We all sin. We all stumble and fall in many ways. James 3. If you sin, if there's a sin you're convicted in, if there is a pattern of sin in your life, I want to encourage you. Go to the Lord and ask Him to forgive you. If you've done that before, ask Him again. Ask Him to fill you. Give give you power. He has given you power. Ask for more strength and more power to turn from your sins. Share it with somebody. Get help. Be vigilant. We want to keep moving towards the light. I know you. If you're a Christian, either something I know about you. You, at the bottom of it, even though you may enjoy sin for a season, you do want to flee it and you do want nothing to do with the devil. And I want to encourage you to turn. Turn from that today. Where the Spirit of God shows us, dear brothers and sisters, even in small ways that we've been sinning, let's not, let's not go to condemnation. That would be of the enemy. Don't go there. But let's take it seriously. There is a way to take sin seriously in a grace-filled way. <laughs> there is. And what's that way? It's or for, you know the one who said Lord be merciful to me, a sinner you come to him and you say God forgive me and then we turn so as we wrap up let's ask God to help us to do that Lord thank you for your spirit and your presence with us Lord we do just come to you and we're aware of our sinfulness and Lord I pray as we wrap up as we sing this song of repentance that you would help each one of us in the way that you've in whatever ways we need to. Only you know our hearts, we know our hearts to some degree, but help us in whatever ways we need to right now to turn to you in repentance, receive your forgiveness and grace to move on in the power of your spirit seeking to honor you. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's stand.